This is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 21st of January, 2011. I always start off by getting it out of the way and telling you to go into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, the website, where you can help yourself do hundreds of audios for download for free. And I try, in the best way I can, to show you that this world doesn't just evolve along some willy-nilly um, winding avenue, it's actually designed to go into a future, a pre-planned future, where many of those who are involved in the big top think tanks on the planet, and of course backed by the richest people on the planet, plan uh, this, this world by the century uh, for the type of society they want. And you'll find that too, even in the lunar society, if you go into that, for instance, I'm getting off topic here, I shouldn't be, but the lunar society that um, Franklin joined and uh, the inventor of the steam engine was in, and all the different scientists were in, in, in Britain in the 1700s. They were actually working on a system to bring in a greater industrial society across the whole of Europe and into America as well. So that's how they plan it, with the bankers, and the bankers were present at that meeting, the richest people on the planet. So it's always been that way. They plan the world, they have big business and we are simply the hands uh, that they hire to make their dreams come true, you might say. And, of course, now today we're in the, the post-religious society, and they're into uh, the, 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 the scientific elite priesthood society, where every expert is on television every darn day telling you how to put your socks on and stuff like that, what to wear that day, and, and how to behave, etc., etc., etc. We're being managed in a more incredulous fashion than any religion ever tried to do in previous times. And it's going to get a lot worse because the big boys like Russell and others who wanted this system said the scientific dictatorship would be very, very um, excessive in its demands and it would be utterly ruthless as well. And that's what we're in. So help yourself to those audios. Remember, too, that you bring me to you. You're the audience who bring this host to you. So buy the books and the discs that I have for sale at cuttingthroughthemedias.com. And the U.S. to Canada, remember, you can still use a personal check and you can still use an international postal money order from the post office. PayPal to order or donate, use a donation button, followed by an email with an e- your um, order, name, address, and I'll get it out to you. And the same across the rest of this big world. It used to be, used to be a lot bigger. It's getting smaller now, apparently. You keep telling us that. And um, you can use Western Union across the world, MoneyGram. And MoneyGram, remember, is cheaper if you want to get a check from them on your side and post it across. It'll take about seven days to get here. And use PayPal to order as well. And remember, too, for those who listen, there's thousands and thousands that listen across the world, they throw a few pennies here once in a while because, believe you me, I really do need it. And uh, with inflation and the dollars falling, um, the, the U.S. dollar is really going down uh, as inflation comes in. Then I really, my costume, of course, nobody else's does either for that matter. 
than I could do with occasional few pennies thrown this way because um, this is an educational platform, really, and it's different from the rest. It's helped lead the rest, in fact, and um, uh, it's only time that you start to contribute and keep the thing going because it's expensive to do what I do, and believe you me, it takes its toll. It's not something you like to do. It's just something that had to be done at the right time, and that's what I felt. I couldn't stand by any longer and watch all the nonsense with the politicians and all the bewildered people beneath them and all the different groups that were beneath them running around fighting each other without realizing what on earth was really going on in the world. So a lot of people have definitely benefited. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix. You know, as I say, this world doesn't just uh, wind along some strange way and, and go different, down different avenues. It, it is, it's actually directed, and you'll find none of this in your mainstream media because the mainstream media has been, for about a 100 years or so, utterly controlled, completely controlled in groups. In fact, they did a study back in 1917 in the U.S., when they were forming up the Council on Foreign Relations to be the American branch of the Royal Institute of International Affairs. And Morgan and all these big boys were up there and the Rockefellers. And they gathered in a big special team to find out uh, how to control all news. Because after all, our minds down below are shaped by the information that's given to us. And of course, um, they found that they could actually use about 17 main papers and the rest would follow. It's actually smaller now uh, because most of the newspapers get their news from Reuters that was started up by Rothschild's company and the AP, and they all follow that pretty well. Then you have Washington Time, uh, Washington Post and um, New York Times. New York Times has always been a, a council on foreign relations propaganda arm, and in fact, if you read Carl Quigley's books, on uh, the CFR, because he was the historian for the company, he tells you that uh, who, who set up which newspapers and the purpose for them is so that they could drum up support for certain wars that they wanted to go off and plunder different countries, things like that, because they wanted to take over the world's all the world's resources. The same agenda is on today, and uh, they never mention that when they go into Iraq and different countries. We all would sit back, and then the, afterwards we watch them divide up the plunder of the oil fields to Shell and BP and all the usual ones. But it's the same old game, taking over the world's resources and devastating a people. Uh, eventually, they even deculturalize them because then they're helpless. They won't ever rise up against them again, and they can continue to exploit them. That's really what's, what wars are primarily about. And the same technique goes on in psychological wars within your own countries because Bernays found out that you couldn't just give out propaganda uh, against an enemy, you see, and a psyops game. You had to also use the same terminology, the same resources, the same techniques on your own peoples so that they would go along quite happily and fight and die so that you can get your plunder. And that's how it's really been. We're living in a world of what Bertrand Russell called uh, a superclass. Uh, Huxley talked about it too. The superclass has been here for a long, long time. These guys aren't just multi-billionaires, they're multi-multi-trillionaires. And 
they own good chunks of the world, literally. And the ones they don't technically own, uh, they basically have up their eyes in debt, owing them all their money to them. And they take uh, pretty well almost all the tax base back to them to pay for all their compound interests. That's the technique that's used on the world. And, of course, they make sure that whatever institution is used for education in your system then joins up with the global institution which they set up, which makes sure that the children growing up, will, oh, in every generation, will get a good brainwashing, which they certainly do. And they're brainwashed to accept the things which the same group have planned to come down in the future. And so they grow up thinking everything's quite natural as you go into paying carbon credits and uh, energy taxes or whatever they want to call it. It's all the same. Uh, it's, a, it's a con to rip off the individual and get them working like an army in a wartime situation, uh, a war of the world, um, and basically soak you. Because Charles Galton Darwin was quite correct when he mentioned that there's always been slaves. In every society, in every era, there have always been slaves. And there are different terminologies used to describe the slaves, in the Christian uh, systems, they call them serfs, you see, uh, because they don't like the term slavery. It wasn't quite nice. So they call them a serf, and, and a serf and his family was bought and sold with the land uh, up until not so long ago, in fact. Um, and he also said that we're in the process now, meaning the elite, of course, and he was one of them, of creating a more perfected form of slavery. It's a slavery which you don't see as slavery, you know, in, in the old days, and say in ancient Egypt, for instance, uh, it was really um, labor-intensive to hire lots of slave masters to look over slaves. And once in a while, throw them a, a piece of rag to wear or something, all that kind of stuff. And it was far easier when they found out that if they instilled a basic religion into the slaves of an all-seeing eye that was watching them everywhere they went and loaded up statues everywhere too, that they actually thought the statues could see them. Uh, representing the different pharaohs and the high priests, uh, that worked just the same way. It's, it's very good anthropological studies that they'd done back then, and they found out that the slaves would not run off. They used less slave masters. The slaves worked more willingly, and once in a while they'd have a little holiday, you know, and a little beer. And I'm not kidding about that. They drank beer back then. It wasn't wine. And um, apparently the civil servants got about two gallons per day doled out to them. That wasn't bad, eh? But anyway... Nothing's really changed because these techniques have never been forgotten and there are peoples down through the millennium who understand and they have archives of techniques of managing whole nations to do with money lending and then the collections of money and so on and so on and so on. And everything comes under economics eventually until we're run by economics. The question is never asked, are we born to be an economic unit? I mean, are we? Who's ever asked that? And people today have been taught to decry and hate the old religions and toss them out the window and they toss out the baby with the bathwater uh, because there's no doubt at all they become dictatorial. All systems become corrupt in a very short while uh, once the relatives move in and take over and, the, and then the sons take over and, enter, and marry with the daughters and before you, you know it, you've got an oligarchy running you and they always become corrupt. It doesn't matter what fancy name they give to it. We're, we're living today under the worst corrupt system that's ever been developed in every country. Every country. People don't even know that they have basically inbred bureaucrats living in their countries. 
and the federal, especially the federal level, not just the federal level, state, provincial, and so on, and in Britain, etc., it's regional. But uh, they marry each other because they all live in this, at the same area, around the capital, and uh, they go to the same parties, you see, all form, and then they get married to each other, and their offspring end up in the same work too. It's just, and they're kept at a very high level, on the federal level, very high level of living, uh, and some of them have servants and all the rest of it, and they take that as quite natural. And I had one tell me from Canada, she says, I could never live like you, you know, I mean, you people, you know. And um, but that she meant on your salaries or the wage that you brought in, um, with all the worry you have with, with uh, either renting or mortgaging and, and so on, uh, and the poor medical care you'll get if you get any at all, uh, whereas they get all the high benefits at their level, and they, they can concentrate just on their work, basically, have lots of little functions where they stand around sipping wine and wearing long dresses, that kind of stuff, and, uh, and patting each other on the back for such a, doing a great job as they raise the taxes and raise the taxes and raise the taxes. It's the same in every country. The problem today is something that Hamilton talks about, uh, a guy who's often lambasted uh, because he was against the ideas of, of some of the other founding fathers, and he wanted a banking system brought in, and he certainly was uh, well in with the Rothschilds and all the usual boys. However, he said a lot of real truth as well. He said, he said that even though his heroes were all, always dictators and slaughterers and, uh, and Caesars and so on, he did say that uh, is it better to pay for one king in his family, in his entourage and his little army, or to have thousands to pay for under a, a form of a democratic system. And there's a truth there. There's a tr- I mean, who, personally, I don't want either, but there's a truth there because it's an incredible expenditure to keep bureaucracies living at the highest style of life that they're accustomed to living at. And we're all paying for it. But now you have an international club of them, you see, and the bureaucrats technically don't do anything without being told. They're kind of like robots. If their masters are way above them, put the word down to do something, they go into action. But without the word, they do nothing at all, except except crawl down corridors and, and sneak into rooms when you try and approach them. You know, it's not my department, that kind of stuff. Uh, but amongst themselves, they, they, they see themselves as running the country, and they'll always tell you it's very efficiently. But as I say, now that there's a big banker boys at the top, the big, big club of international moneylenders, these guys don't have little banks on the street corner. They are international moneylenders. There's even ones in Canada who still exist today. One of them is a descendant of the Governor General of Canada. And uh, Gorbachev goes and visits them once in a while for some cash or another. And they exist across the world, these, these private uh, banking families. And they form the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund. And um, they own, basically, the debts. Of the, they help to create the debt, mind you, but they also own the debt as well. It's far better to own debts, you see, because it, it comes back with compound interest over and over and over as everyone's paying the minimum payments, just like a Visa card or American Express card. That's how it's run. But as long as money exists, we'll all have, always have this problem always have this problem because, as I say, everyone's terrified of poverty, uh, loneliness, uh, having no shelter, um, no food, uh, no health care. And as long as that money brings that fear in, 
then those who are more vicious or more cunning or more psychopathic will claw their ways up to the top to join the higher clubs where they feel a bit safer. They're further from the street and they feel safer. And they will then exploit everyone beneath them on behalf of those above them. That's a sad truth across the entire planet. Years ago, I watched the guy from India talking about, he was hailed as a hero because he was starting off a micro-loan projects under the United Nations, of course, this great front group, this United Nations front group that the Council on Foreign Relations boys put together and still run for a global uh, slave society. And he was going to give out micro-loans to mainly to women across the world to help them get started in business, small businesses. And I'll touch on this scam when I come back from this break. Hi folks, we're back and this is Cutting Through the Matrix, talking about the cons that go on with money and uh, how the philanthropists always come forward. Because you see, in this system, you've got to understand it, it's been run by scientists in academia, which it is already, and um, it's also to be uh, run by the, the, the philanthropists at the top who decide where money goes to certain areas, etc. It's called benevolent dictatorships. And this, is, this goes back to ancient times, and this was all debated in Plato's day and before him too, and all the way to Pythagoras and before him, uh, that the world should be run by these benevolent types, you see, these philanthropic types who were somehow above everyone else as far as corruption goes. Uh, they were born differently and came out of special wombs, and uh, they weren't tempted by, by misusing power. And a kind of Solomon-type character. That's why it's all into Freemasonry as well. And they're always on about Solomon and King Solomon. And um, Solomon, of course, made sure that he bankrupted his country, in actual fact, uh, for the cost of building, building his temples. His house was a lot bigger than temple. I should always point that out, too. But uh, he bankrupted his nation. But he's up as a wise man. And for certain people, he is the wise man because he certainly profited and made sure he could pass the cash on. But uh, this has always been the same con of money down through the ages in every nation. And it says here in this article here, I'll not put these links up at cuttingthroughthematrix.com, an Indian central bank panel has put forward proposals for nationwide regulation of the microfinance sector after the industry was buffeted by accusations of lending abuses. It says the panel urged that interest rates on microloans be capped at 24% a year. Some of them are up to 40%, 50%. And that loans to the poor total no more than 25,000 rupees per borrower. They're aimed mainly at women through the United Nations, uh, same in Africa too. And that's to get, get them starting business where the, guy have, the guys have no work at all. And, and it gives them the power. This is the idea behind it. But it, this is the con that they, they push to the left wing, of course. But in reality, uh, these people are getting soaked for massive interest rates, like bankers always do or loan sharks always do. But philanthropists, of course, have a, they call it micro, microloans. It's microloaning, you know. The panel's report was commissioned after the southern state of Andhra Pradesh, a hub of microcredit activity, that means loan sharking, took steps last October to crack down on microfinance firms' operations in a bid to stop alleged exploitation. 
The panel said in a report on the bank's website Thursday there was a need to halt such abuses as multiple lending to borrowers by competing microfinance companies, those loan shark companies, and coercive recovery methods, which means you'll break your legs if you don't pay us back. The $7 billion microfinance sector has recently been hailed as a saviour of India's poor for providing loans averaging $250 to millions of borrowers, often small entrepreneurs, unable to get credit from mainstream banks. But as I say, this is all through the United Nations, and I think there's over 30 million NGOs and in, in all with their hands out there in India. Uh, it's an incredible amount of non-governmental organizations making sure that India enters the world in the same socialist uh, banking uh, fascist system because there's no difference as far as I'm concerned between socialism and fascism. It's run by the same people as the rest of the world so they can take the rightful place as utterly poor, in-debt, broken people. So that's how the world is really run by money. And, of course, the, the incredible interest rates on them is nothing new. It's been done all over the world, done through the ages, right up to the present time. And uh, what can you do? Uh, they, they, they try and tell these people, oh, you'll make it in business, you'll be somebody. It's like, it's like these characters who apply to become a, a star, you know. Uh, you'll be somebody. And, um, and they, they go for the bait. Next thing you know, they're selling their shirts and their children and everything else. Literally. That's what they do at the top because there's no, that there is nothing to do. There's no morality whatsoever, as you know, morality when it comes to the bankers and money lending. There is nothing. There's there's no poor this or empathy or this or compassion. It doesn't exist. It's never existed in that particular world of banking. Never existed. Now. The cons, too, that the CFR, Royal Institute of International Affairs, came up with was to unify different parts of the globe. I mentioned last night where they're still working on the unification of the Americas, uh, mainly through academia, who will train the management for the next generation. That's why they use academia to make sure they get the right robots who are properly brainwashed, who come out well-funded, mind you, and well-paid to then exploit those beneath them and push them into the same system. They can go on for generations till they get what they want. But they did the same thing in Europe too. I remember they're following the, what used to be called the Communist Manifesto, and Karl Marx was a hack, hack journalist that was failed. He was kicked out of Germany. And, of course, the Rothschilds put him up in Britain, and he put out his Communist Manifesto. There, his name didn't even appear on it at first. And then, of course, coincidentally, Darwin came along uh, with his idea that we were just basically apes, and um, some yet yeah, some better apes than others, and um, and Karl Marx wanted to dedicate, I think it was his second or third edition, to Darwin, uh, and for, for what he said was validating the whole theory of Marxism being a science. You see, uh, under the Marxist idea, which was dreamed up by bankers, which is a great con, of course, um, you're supposed to go through a stage of. Uh, of industry, industry and capitalism, and then nationalism, and then you get uh, into a stage of post-capitalism and post-nationalism and then internationalism, with the same bankers running the whole show. But anyway, uh, they didn't bother to push that part too much with the left wing. But that's how it really, really works. The dialectic process must have an enemy and people profit from the dialectic. Uh, the East and the West made fortunes. Uh, the elite made fortunes of making missiles. Uh, one every, a new one every month almost. Uh, they cost billions of dollars. War is great for business. And you've got to have an enemy. Back with more after this break.
are listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, this is Cutting Through the Matrix, talking about the dialectic really that's always been used by the big, big boys at the top, the big banking boys. I'm talking about international uh, generations of the same families who've, who've archives, they've archives of how to control nations, how to build nations, how to get them to war, how to profit from wars, and, and so on, and to make sure that their own progeny keep going down through the generations forever and ever. And they always give you these utopias to go and fight for, you see. There's always going to be a utopia just, just around the corner if you just go off and fight for this last war and stuff like that. And um, Karl Marx himself, of course, wanted a united Europe to be followed by United Americas and then a Pacific Rim region that would eventually be formed, which it has been formed by the same people, by the way, by the Council on Foreign Relations and Royal Institute of International Affairs, which is the big daddy of them all. And when they sold or tried to sell this European Union in Britain and elsewhere, nobody wanted it. The public, this launched upon the public, a massive advertising campaign, and all the politicians who were well paid off, of course, came out and says, well, if you don't join it, we'll be left behind, left behind. That's going to benefit everyone, you see. I guess they don't look upon the people as being human because they must mean their own particular crew. But it says... Here's what they're doing now in Britain. This up to it's, it's past its eyeballs in debt, and uh, and they're sinking too. And they can't they can't get up to the surface. It says Britain is to be hit with a punitive European punitive. This is punitive, by the way. European Union fines of up to one billion pounds for alleged misuse of Brussels funds emerged last night. The European Commission chiefs imposed so-called financial corrections totaling £398 million on the UK after criticising Whitehall's use of EU subsidies, the Treasury confirmed. And officials admitted a further £601 million had been set aside to pay expected further EU penalties. They used to say in Britain, go stuff it, you know. What happened to them? What, maybe they're so dumbed down with the food and all the rest of it, I don't know, or the BBC, that would dumb anybody down. But... Uh, here they are, just just sinking into this quagmire of massive debt, which they're never going to get out of, and they're getting hit with all these fines. They get nothing back for it. This is just money. This is this is just like the European Union saying we want extra cash, so we're going to cause, call we'll call it fines, uh, and they set a bunch of bureaucrats uh, to find out what they can find them for. This is the swinging fines, which will ultimately be paid by taxpayers. Well, of course, there's nothing else. Everything comes from the taxpayer. Last night provoked fresh fury about the growing burden of EU membership. It also emerged that town halls are expected to, ha- to hand over another £1 billion from council taxes over the next decade for failing to meet EU targets. They give you targets. If you can't make it, uh, you're on the street. That's it. Tory MP Philip uh, Hollobone said, It's an absolute joke, particularly as the EU's accounts have not been signed off by the official auditors for the last 14 years. Well, it's called corruption, that's what it's called. And it's, it's time they, they just, you know, pulled right out of it. Everybody pulls out of it because it's a big mafia 
that runs the whole darn system. And there's no benefits in it whatsoever except the guys who work in the part and all the massive bureaucracy they've got. Imagine creating two capitals, basically, and paying for both of them. Now you've got an extra bunch of uh, bureaucrats to pay for and their families and their functions and their whining and their dining and, the, and their uh, limos, etc., etc., etc. It's about time they pulled out of the darn thing and, and, and just uh, write it all off and, and tell them where to go with it because it's, it's a dead duck as far as I'm concerned. And if you, you keep going the way you're going, you'll all be the dead ducks. You'll freeze to death because you can't even afford your fuel this this uh, winter. But again, it's up to you. And, and I really, you know, I can see from the least point of view how they see the public. I really can see that. And when the more you study, you'll find that too. You'll start to see how they see and view the public. How much will they take? How much will they take? How much will they take? You know? And mind you, too, uh, the elites have got all these instigators down below amongst the public to give them all the things so they can fight amongst themselves about all the wrong things. That keeps them distracted. But it's a perfect science of control, you understand, that's going on. But how much are you going to take? You know, Are you going to keep voting for the same con men? Over and over, and, and, and letting, letting your children suffer, if you even have any children, or maybe be selling them off to micro-loan management. But is that what you're going to do? You know, the, the old saying is, don't listen to what they say to you, politicians say. You'll know them by their works, what they actually do. And you've been bending over for as long as I've been alive, and probably before that too, so... It's about time you just pulled up stakes and got out of it because it's it's a catastrophe and it's not designed to help you in any means at all. It's disgusting. Now, Greenpeace co-founder Dr. Dr. Patrick Moore, I've mentioned him before. He's He's been on different videos. He came out last year too talking about the con of um, uh, the far left uh, and so-called environmental con game. He says, co-founder Dr. Patrick Moore questions man-made global warming, and he calls it obviously a natural phenomenon. And then he says, uh, we do not have any scientific proof that we are the cause of the global warming that has occurred in the last 200 years. I'm, I'm not even sure it has. The alarmism is driving us through scare tactics to adopt energy policies that are going to create a huge amount of energy poverty among the poor people. I guess he's not one of the poor people because he would never put the the in there. You know, it's like them. Yeah, it's, it's amazing what you can pick up on, on the way people write. Uh, and it says here, um, the co-founder of the environmental organization Greenpeace isn't too hot about global warming. Appeared on Fox Business Network with uh, Stuart Varney and Thursday and said that global warming is a natural phenomenon. There's no proof of man-made global warming and suggested that alarmism is driving politicians to create bad environmental policies. It's not that at all. He also, but there are alarmists, but they're paid to do it. He also said that he's not the only environmentalist that believes like him. And then, of course, they push his book, uh, Confessions of a Greenpeace Dropout, The Making of a Sensible Environmentalist. And he says, uh, he explained that departure was in part due to the group's extremist positions and it being hijacked by political and social causes as well as the left. And, uh, of course, they're all funded by the big foundations who own the rights. And there's the other part of the dialectic again, isn't it? And um, so anyway, there's more and more of them coming out. Uh, I don't think it makes make much difference because the big boys want these carbon and energy taxes. They'll just call it energy taxes rather than carbon taxes. And the public will be so uh, distracted with other things and other worries to do much about it, it would seem.
they sort of divided the general public, and uh, there's been a great technique used upon them for since about the 50s, I'd say, to uh, destroy any true uh, community feelings that they used to have as a people in in um, most countries. The TV had a great lot to do with it because when they introduced it on mass. Literally, it was almost within a week. People were not walking in the streets anymore with their families on Sundays or going down the parks and chanting to all their friends. Uh, literally, it, it, everyone was in their home with that little blue uh, light you know, glaring through the window as they stuck glued to the television. It was that fast a transformation. And, of course, those who gave it to the public just at the computer uh, knew it could be used as a weapon before they gave it to them. And that's been awfully effective. Before, everyone knew what was happening, even in their local councils, local areas, because everyone talked to everyone. And it didn't go around either, uh, shoving down Valiums and Libriums and all the other drugs to calm themselves down because they lived in a more natural environment of people, not this electronic hubbub we live in today, where you get nothing but propaganda, very clever propaganda, spewed at you from a thousand million sources. I always love it, too, when you think of George Orwell, when he talks about utopias, and he says, uh, you know, some are more um, equal than others in such utopias. In other words, that they've special rights and special this and special that, because all governmental systems do for their own, you see. And this one, this article is about royal freedom of information law exemption is announced. That's not really news to an extent, because... Uh, even when the computer came out and uh, they talked about the, in, everybody's information will be up on the net, they already put laws through in every country, if you didn't know that, where VIPs would be excluded from having their information and data put up on the net, except whatever they permitted themselves. And uh, anyway, they put through another freedom of information law exemption because the Queen is above the law. And... Uh, it says here, a new British law that to effect Wednesday makes Queen Elizabeth II, Prince Charles, and Prince William exempt from freedom of information laws, meaning many private details of their lives won't be made public for decades. And that's from the home of democracy for uh, Britain. Yeah. Uh, Justice Secretary Ken Clark says exemption will protect the monarch's private conversations with politicians and officials, but information advocates say it will make it even harder to hold to account a royal family that costs taxpayers millions of pounds a year. For centuries, the workings of the British monarchy were shrouded in secrecy by a blend of law, convention, deference, and media self-censorship. That means they owned the media, and they still do. That media acquiescence is long gone, and under freedom of information laws that took effect in 2005, information about the royal family could be released if it was shown to be in the public interest. It is at, uh, in at least, uh, it raises the possibility that information could be disclosed. Maurice Frankel of the Campaign for Freedom of Information. What the changes do is remove the public interest test. Exemption becomes absolute. So, I'm going to laugh at this too. Although the 84-year-old queen has no political power, which is an absolute nonsensical lie, everybody in parliament is groveling to get a knighthood. Every little psychopath who manages to, to get into to politics is uh, uh, groveling for knighthoods because it opens doors. It opens a lot of doors, believe you me, across the world. And uh, uh, you, you've made it then because Britain is very much like India with its caste system. 
and uh, it still holds very true today, hasn't changed at all. Uh, Americans used to, in the 30s and the 40s, who were making millions, the first Nobu rich, uh, used to go over to Britain think, thinking they could just go up to the Queen and, and, and she'd shake hands and have a, give you a cup of tea. And then they were so amazed that it didn't matter how much money you had, doesn't matter how much you had in riches, uh, you didn't belong to the right society. You just were the wrong stuff, you know. And uh, they don't realize how ingrained that is. It's still in the British system because it's a class apart. It's above all classes. It's a class that stands on its own. And they're incredibly, incredibly rich people. And um, and again, too, they're, they're generally pretty well inbred. They're all, they're all cousins of each other and, and all the rest of it. So the public had to pay for this. Now, the Queen also has to sign every bill that goes through Parliament. She, she, she has the right to say, no, I'm not signing this thing. So that's nonsense to say she has no power. Everybody who works for the British government has to swear, swear allegiance to the Queen, not to the country. And that's how it really is. So anyway, um, this is the same Queen, by the way, who tried recently, or her, her accountants did, to uh, claim money from the poverty taxes, the destitution taxes, to pay for the heating and so of her palaces. One of the richest persons on the, on the planet. That's how you stay rich, you know. Uh, well, anyway, in the U.S., it's interesting. I said this years ago this would happen. It's actually been happening in a covert way. And because parents seldom talk to their children anymore, they don't even know what's happening in school and what they're getting taught. And they leave it. They've been taught to leave it to the school system to to give their, their moral values and everything else to the children, which they certainly have given these novu uh, it's Novu morality. This is for the U.S., though. They, they want to do uh, assessments on parents now. Every year, Florida students, schools, and districts are graded based on their performance. Now it's time to start rating the parents, a state lawmaker says. So it's Representative Kelly Stargill, Republican from Lakeland, fil- filed a bill year Tuesday that would require elementary school teachers to evaluate parents based on the quality of their involvement in their children's schools. As his appearance with children in a pre-K to third grade would get satisfactory or needs improvement or unsatisfactory ratings in four broad categories. They'd be judged on their response to requests for meetings or communication, their children's completion of homework and prepare for preparation for tests, their children's absentee and tardy rates, and their children's physical preparation for school, including a good night's sleep and appropriate meals, it says here. Now, it's quite interesting, too, uh, how do you get your children to go to, to bed now uh, so they can get up in the morning? Because, it's, again, they've got all these children's rights, rights that the child came from the United Nations, where the child can actually do what the, what the, what the earth did. In fact, you've got to let them watch television because it's a social networking tool, you see, and you're depriving the child of social networking and education via the TV. So, once again, ridiculous targets are now placed on parents. And not that I think most parents mind. The, as I say, they hardly know their children today. Uh, a lot of the mothers even don't know their fathers. But that's just the way it is in this day and age with the new morality. As scientists and experts and committees and organizations take over and control your lives for you. 
It says, although the school environment has a great impact on a child's well-being and academic success, parents and the home environment form the foundation of a child's present and future lives, Stargill explains in the bill, which is HB 255. Without proper parental involvement in all aspects of the child's life, the child's prospects to be a well-equipped and useful member of society are greatly diminished, uh, the bill states. Uh, so in other words, uh, it helps you get on, it says, which is absolute lies. It's who you know that determines if you get on or not. Parents and teachers raise questions about the bill, saying it could backfire and make parent-teacher relations more tense. They also feared it would add to teachers' workloads if they had to keep track of parents' progress as well as their students. Well, you know, if you were a parent, you should be down there with your placards and all the rest of it telling this guy to back off and get out of it. You know, you've got enough to do. You don't need them poking your nose in your affairs. However, they've been doing it for years and years and years by little tests to give the children, little questionnaires, little fun questionnaires. What do your parents talk about? Do they ever talk about these issues? Do they ever use these words? Blah, 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 blah. And they've been doing that across uh, pretty well every country in the Western Hemisphere for a long time. And all that data is sent to central data banks, by the way. So that's how they're they're doing it there. Now, Canada is an amazing country because they're always in the forefront, it says, for for, for new rights and, and, and special rights and rights and rights and rights. They're always saying that Canada leads the world and, and it's always something awfully vague because you never know where they're going with it. It's a, it's a, a tremendous vagueness that's been here since Trudeau's time uh, of always being in the avant-garde uh, for change. And then it's always left in this vague, wishy-washy thing because no one can answer what change they're after. Uh, but uh, Karen's a big player, of course, with the Council on Foreign Relations, uh, again, too. And they have many of their annual meetings in Canada. They actually rotate them. It's just like the Bilderberger Hotel when they started off. Uh, and they call themselves that particular group. It's the same with the meetings they have with the Council on Foreign Relations. They have pretty particular ones set in Canada, and they all must meet there from across the world uh, on a certain day and so on with the next part of their agenda. But um, I think that's the music coming in there. So I'll come back after this with uh, some more news on this next vague thing that Canada's going to do. We're back, cutting through the matrix. I've talked before about how the entertainment industry in all of its different areas is controlled with political correctness. And even the novels you, you read in your children are, have been written, basically funded by grants from governments, departments, to make sure it contains all the politically correct stuff. And this article here, Canada Bans Dire Straits, the, the, the group, the song for the use of an anti-gay slur, you know. In the, eight, the 85 Dire Straits song, Money for Nothing, has been banned in Canada for containing the word. Uh, and I don't know if I should spell it. Maybe if it's banned now, I can't say it. So, so it's a, it, we used to call it a cigarette in Britain. And, and, and uh, uh, then it got a different naming, meaning altogether. And cigarettes, actually, in the hot point from a burning ember, was the right meaning of the word. And I was brought up with a classic, so I can't really change that easily. Anyway... So they've banned this. It says, although a number one hit record around the world during the 80s, the Canadian Broadcasting Standards Council ruled the song to be extremely offensive and thus inappropriate for airing on radio or television as it contains an, an anti-gay slur. So uh, the decision was made against a Newfoundland-based radio station, CHOZ-FM. 
so you've got to watch what you say, think, and do, and all the rest of it. And even if you're quite innocent about stuff, because I keep changing the terms of what things mean uh, and all the rest of it. I'd have to go to the Beatles, too, and do Polythene Pam. Uh, that came out a long time before that. Uh, but uh, it's just amazing what they distract you with as you go further into and, and take all the different things away from categories that used to be classified as, as, as some kind of uh, not quite right type of thing. So it's just amazing what's happening, as I say, but it doesn't amaze me at all because I know the score within the industry. Uh, there was David from Wales still there. Again, I just noticed he was been hanging on here. Hello? Is David there? Alan? Hello, yeah. Uh, can you hear me? Yep, go ahead. Yeah, I, I think I can uh, help you out with the wishing word. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I think Prince Harry can because uh, he smokes the funny fags. Uh, I've just got a message for the Queen. Uh, yeah. You don't own my family, right? Do us all a favour. Don't wait around for 2012. Go and get on the boat now and clear off. Yeah. And if you want to walk the plank, put up the Jolly Roger and don't use our flag. That's right. And by the way, they've got, lot, they've got lots of homes they can go to. Oh, yeah. And two Americans. Don't call me a limey sissy. If you want to say that, come and say it to my face, all right? You've got to work out your slave masters now. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing my bit. What are you doing? Yeah. I'll leave it well, at that one. That's true, and, and, and that's what it'll come down to. But but you know something? Uh, you can see, too, how the elite get away with it, because the public are so darn docile. Thomas Moore said that, you know. He said the British public were the most docile people on the planet. The school called that in my town. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. But it's just amazing, as I say. And, you know, the U.S. is coming down the same way. Their dollar is hitting rock bottom. Uh, and food's about doubled or tripled in the last two or three years, you know. Yeah, well, it's... I uh, don't think what you can do for your country. Think what your country can do for you. That yeah. seems to be the prevailing attitude at the moment. Yeah. You better book your ideas up and throw your lot out as well. That's what we're going to do. And, and also, yeah, too, it's not... Blair, right? Tony Blair... Yeah. You turn your back on crime women, yeah? I'll oh, turn yeah. my back on you. Yeah. Well, Tony Blair is a psychopath, though. He's yeah, an ob- I will not put up with that. Yeah, he's an obvious psychopath. And he's been so well rewarded for plunging the country into what he's helped to plunge it into. So well rewarded by his bosses. Yeah. Yeah. But they run all sides. What can you do? You're a completely new system altogether. There's never been democracy. But thanks for calling. From Hamish and myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your God's go with you.